School is back in action, and since we're starting up everything else new, uh, there is room for you in the choir also if you want to sing with them. Uh, we can pull up a chair, and you can sing right along with them, right? Sounds good. And so if you've got your copy of God's Word, we'll get started this morning. If you'll turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 19 is where we're going to start. And while you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Word. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that there is liberty found only under you. And so, Father, I pray that when we pick up our cross and follow you daily, I pray that it would never be burdensome, but it would be the one of the easiest things that we do because the reward is so high. And so, God, I pray that today that you would reveal yourself to us in ways you haven't before. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that we would indeed be set free. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 19. We've been uh, cruising along at a, at a pretty good pace through the book of Matthew. And now uh, the Pharisees are going to come and they're going to have some things to say to Jesus. And then Jesus is going to say some things back to them. And uh, I always love it in Scripture. It should be obvious after the first time that the Pharisees asked Jesus a question that Jesus isn't the type of person that you want to play stump the chump with. Like, you know, there's certain people in your life that you just don't play trivial pursuit with. They just suck all the fun out of the game because they know all the answers. Uh, and there's people that are really talented drawing that, you know, you just don't play Pictionary with uh, because it's no fun because they always draw well. You guys are looking at me like you've never heard of any of these things before. Um, and so today, people are going to come to Jesus, and they're going to have some things to say, and Jesus is going to uh, put them in their place. So we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 19, and it says this. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him there, and he healed them. And so Jesus has moved on from Galilee. You know, he's been, he's been traveling throughout uh, all of Israel. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been feeding people. He's been doing all sorts of ministry that he sent his people out to do. And so now he's moved from one region into the other. And the interesting thing about this little snippet of information in chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, is that now Jesus has moved into a region where Herod is king. Okay, and Herod is the same Herod that put John the Baptist to death. And if you remember, he put John the Baptist to death because uh, uh, Herod was had someone else's wife. He had stolen his brother's wife and he was living an adulterous life. And so now because of all of this, the Pharisees come to Jesus. Now, with that background, you move into Matthew chapter 19, verse three. And it says this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And hopefully this makes sense to you now. You ever have those type of people in your life that only ask you certain questions when people are around? They'll come up to you and they'll go, hey, tell, tell me about when that happened. And they're only saying it because of the company that you're in. And they're either trying to slander your reputation or they're trying to expose something or make themselves look good right here. Well, there was a couple different uh, sects of the Pharisees. There was, uh, there was one group who followed a particular rabbi's teaching, and that rabbi was very liberal in his view of divorce. You could divorce for any reason. Uh, another rabbi said, uh, took a very conservative stance on divorce. And so now they're in Herod's country, and they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, what do you say? 
And so there's two different rabbis who have two different teachings. And now if he says, you know what, if you get divorced, uh, blah, 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 now they're going to run and they're going to tattle to Herod. And hopefully Herod's going to take out Jesus just like he did John the Baptist in their eyes. And so some Pharisees, verse 3, come to Jesus testing him and asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And this is one of the reasons why when people say, if you could ask Jesus any question, what would you ask him? I think, boy, I don't know if I'd ask him any question because a lot of times people ask him questions and he says things like this. Verse 4, he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And so his first question is, haven't you read what I wrote? You go, "Mm, I would hate to ask Jesus a question. And then him say, well, haven't you read what I gave you? And this is the same thing he says to these people and these Pharisees and these Sadducees and all of these Jewish people. They would have been people who would have been studying the scriptures at a, from a very young age. And while they're still in elementary schoolish, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, some of them. Okay. And so these are people who know the scriptures really well. And he says, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, male and female? And so the interesting thing here is that Jesus doesn't jump onto a particular side. They don't come to Jesus and they say, hey, who do you side with, the Republicans or the Democrats? Jesus goes, "Mm, I'm going to side with Scripture. And wherever Scripture falls, that's where I'm going to find myself. I'm not going to put myself in a camp. And so he goes back beyond each of these rabbis and even beyond Herod. And he says, listen to what God said from the beginning. He created them male and female, verse 5, and said, For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so here's the marriage principle. When two people come together in a covenant relationship, they stay together. Because God created them male and female, and what God has joined together has become one flesh. And so now in marriage, if you have entered into a covenant relationship with somebody, you are one flesh. Now, let me dispel maybe a rumor real quick. Um, marriage is a covenant. And so two people come together and they typically in a church, wherever you get married and they come together and both of them enter into that covenant. And then when they go off on their honeymoon and they consummate their marriage through the act of sex, that's the ratification of the covenant or that's the, that's, that's what makes the deal permanent. Okay. Now you may say, well, loosen up gang, loosen up, right? You've all had this talk before. And so just because Someone has sex before they get married does not mean that they are married in a covenant relationship with that person. Now, this isn't freedom to go out and do all of this. What I want you to know is that the one flesh union entails two pieces. It entails the actual act of sex, sealing the marriage, and entering into a covenant relationship. Okay? And so I don't want you to think that the one flesh union is only as a result of the act of sexual intimacy. So now that we've covered that, somebody can cut the air on because you guys have sucked all the wind out of the room. And so he says, listen, what God has joined together, when two people get married, they've become one. And there's no way to separate them. And so now you come into verse 7. And they say to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And so Jesus says, listen. When two have become one, let no man separate what God's put together. And they say, hey, but Moses commanded the people to give them a certificate of divorce. And you go, well, time out. Let's take a look. And so if you go back quickly to Deuteronomy 
chapter 24. This is in a bunch of the, the rule section of Deuteronomy when he's, uh, he's re-giving them the covenant. He's giving a lot of rules for a lot of different things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Now, I want you to observe here that Moses isn't commanding this to happen. Moses is saying when this happens, not telling them that this happens, but this is something that was happening, and he's telling them when this happens, do this. Verse 3, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, Then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you in his inheritance. And you go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, here's the story. And keep in mind that all of this is under the old covenant, and we don't live under the old covenant anymore. We live under the new covenant. And so in Jesus' day and in earlier times in the Jewish faith, people are getting divorced for trivial reasons. Okay, my wife burnt dinner, and so I'm going to find a wife that can cook. So I'm going to get you out of here, and I'm going to write you a certificate of divorce, and I'm going to go find a lady that can cook. What Jesus is saying here is, and what Moses is saying, is that when that woman goes away and she marries another man, that first husband is not allowed to take her back. Okay, this is under the old covenant. And so that's what's going on in Moses' day. And if you remember, there's a lot of laws and rules under the old covenant system that you kind of scratch your head at and you go, hmm, that's strange. But all of this is to point out the holiness of God in the old covenant. And if you go, well, that's dumb. Most of you would be breaking the law right now because you're mixing different types of fibers in your clothes. Okay. And so don't, don't think too much of this right here. There was a lot of rules that they had to keep. And so you go over to back here to Matthew And Jesus says this in verse 8. He says that Moses said that to them. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And so we've talked through passages very similar to this before. And we're not going to redo it. But what's going on here is that the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus in something. And Jesus doesn't side with either one of the rabbis. He goes back to what God said in the beginning. And so then the Pharisees are looking for this loophole. And they go, but but Moses commanded us to write a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is saying, no, from the beginning, people weren't supposed to get divorced. But because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you and he gave you instructions because you were going to do what you wanted to do anyways. Moses gave you instructions to watch out for the sake of the woman in these instances. Okay, And so what happened a lot of times is when these people would get divorced, the the man would put the woman aside and then she would be out on her own and she wouldn't have any legal rights because she's still married. And so it's better that she be put out with a certificate of divorce so that she can go on about her life and live life as as a decent human being, not under the bondage of a husband who doesn't want her there anymore. Okay, you following me now? We go to this. Then he says, and I say to you, this is chapter 19, verse 9. 
And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so what Jesus does here is he shows them that there's a very, very tight margin that Jesus gives for divorce. Now, I want to say something. I preached on this a while back, and so I'm not going to re-preach on it. But what I want to say now is that a lot of us in this room have been through divorce. And nobody knows all of the circumstances surrounding anybody's divorce. And the longer I'm on earth, the more I realize that you and I have no grounds to judge other people on a lot of the things they do until we've walked a mile in their shoes. And so listen to me. Nobody in this church thinks any less of anyone who's walked through a divorce for any reason. We love you. And we support you. And there's nothing that can't be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say that from right here. That I don't, don't want to take this whole section of sermon and just to say that, oh, we don't like divorce and whoever commits divorce is a sin. Listen, there's a lot of us who could stand to eat a little bit less and that's just as much of a sin. Okay? And all of which can be forgiven. But what's going on here specifically is they're trying to catch Jesus in something so that they can hand him over as being a false teacher. And so what goes on after we leave verse 9, after Jesus gives his instructions, you get to verse 10. And the disciples say to him, now listen to what the takeaway from the disciples is. The disciples say this, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And so the disciples, these 12 guys are looking around, they're going, wow, Jesus if it's like you say, if we're only to get divorced under these narrow circumstances, man, it'd be better if we rethink this whole thing. This is tough what you're saying. You get to verse 11 and Jesus says, but he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those whom it has been given. And so the statement of if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this. It's better not to marry. And Jesus says that not everybody can accept that except the people whom that's been given. And what he's talking about here is that celibacy is a gift, right? There's movies that come out all the time. There was a movie uh, probably 10 years ago, uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Never seen the movie, but it's a comedy movie that everybody laughs at this guy who's 40 years old and still a virgin. What an absolute tragedy. That our society would pick on someone who has saved themselves for 40 years for marriage. It should be that if an individual was 40 years old and they hadn't entered into a marriage monogamous relationship yet. And they had kept themselves for marriage. That we should absolutely applaud that individual. And instead, we live in a society that makes fun of an individual like that. And so he says, listen, that some people are given the gift of celibacy. If you get over into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you find out that Paul is going to say, when he's asked about marriage, he's going to say that it's better for the kingdom of God that none of you marry, that you all stay single and stay celibate. And you're like, whoa, Paul, easy now. And he says it's better for the kingdom of God because once you get married, you're concerned with the other person and how you can please them as opposed to only how you can please God. And you go, preacher, you're off your rocker. Listen, if we cared about the kingdom of God the way that we should, we would set aside everything and focus on the advancement of the kingdom of God. If all of us were single and didn't have spouses and we didn't have children, and children are a gift from God, and I've got three of them, but listen to me. 
we could be available to do much more for the kingdom of God if we didn't have those, and I'm going to call them distractions and responsibilities, but I mean that in the nicest way possible, and you know what I'm talking about. It's easy. For, it's easier for a single person to drop what they're doing and serve the Lord than it is a married person with three kids. That's all I'm saying. And Paul recognizes that when he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. And so Jesus is telling them that, yes, this gift of celibacy is for some, but not everybody can accept it. Verse 12. And how many of you before today ever thought of celibacy as a gift? Most of you are thinking, I wish you'd never say celibacy again and just move on. Anyways. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs whom were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And so there's some people who are eunuchs. And a eunuch, I'm not going to go into graphic detail. And I don't have a PowerPoint presentation. But hopefully all of you know. But a eunuch is someone who is incapable of reproducing. And so because of something that's been done to him. And so, well, you guys are killing me this morning. Absolutely killing me. Verse 12. So there's some eunuchs who are born that way. Then there's others who, others who are made that way. He's not advocating this. He's just stating fact. Some are this way. Some are made this way. And then he says, and there are also eunuchs. This is the middle of verse 12. Who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, is Jesus teaching that there are some people who have self-mutilated themselves in order to further the kingdom of heaven? No. He's not advocating this at all. But he's saying there are some people who have taken up celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And listen, there may be some of us in this room that God calls to this. And if we go, no, that's too much, you would be in dangerous water when you get to the next parable that comes up. And so Jesus finishes up with, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Now you move on from there and you get to verse 13. Then some children were brought to him. So they bring some children to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Now, you remember the story that we talked about last week when the disciples have just seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they're feeling pretty good about themselves and they go, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what does Jesus say? Come here, little boy. Sits a boy on his knee and he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these children. And if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you've got to become like one of these children. And now you have a story where some children are brought to Jesus and what do the disciples do? No, 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 no. You dirty-handed, little snotty-nosed kids, you stay over there. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And what do you think Jesus says? I picked 12 good ones. But Jesus said, verse 14, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so he reminds them, listen. The kingdom of heaven doesn't operate like the rest of the world operates. The kingdom of heaven doesn't operate like a business, doesn't operate the way the government operates. It operates different. And in the kingdom of heaven, we value different things from other people. And Jesus says, we value children in the kingdom of heaven, so let them come to me. Don't keep them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so then Jesus, in verse 15, lays hands on them, and he departs from there. And so... The disciples have just told all of the kids to stay at bay. Don't come near Jesus. And then in verse 16, it says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, 
What good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And when you get further into the story, you read that in some places this story is called the rich young ruler. There's a young, influential man who's wealthy who comes to Jesus. And so what's going on here is that Jesus has just taught about this marriage and divorce. They've tried to trap him. He goes away. Children come to Jesus. The disciples keep him away. And then you can picture in your mind someone who the disciples think should be in the kingdom of heaven. And so keep all the kids away. Hey, but... Here's this wealthy business owner who's in charge of a lot. Let's introduce him to the preacher because this guy would be great for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes, time out. Let's use this fella as an object lesson. And so the guy comes to Jesus. He says, I'd like to ask you something. What good thing, verse 16, shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking. Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's talking about himself. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So you go, wait a minute. I thought that the, I thought getting into heaven and obtaining eternal life was all about faith and, and believing and those sorts of things. Well, just for a minute, humor me for a minute, and just imagine that you didn't inherit any sin from Adam, right? You started off with a clean slate. If you kept the commandments, that would be enough. If you started out with a clean slate, no inherited sin, and you lived a perfect life, you would then be eligible for the kingdom of heaven. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, we have all inherited sin from Adam, and we all have hearts that are deceitfully wicked above everything else. And you know, and I know, that there's no way that any of us have ever kept all the commandments. And so, the man says, then he said to him, which ones? And so Jesus says, keep the commandments, you'll have eternal life. The guy's like... All right, I'll take a shot. Which commandments? And Jesus says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he does here is he only lists six of the ten commandments. Now, the first four commandments all deal with your relationship between you and God. The last six commandments involve your relationship with other people. And so right here, Jesus says, keep the commandments. Which ones? So he lists off the ones that deal with other people. Now listen, there are a lot of good people on this earth, right? You and I have all been to a lot of funerals of very good people who have died, but their relationship with the Lord is lacking. Haven't we? And now he says this, the young man said in verse 20, all these things I've kept. The guy's like, sweet, I've done all these things. I'm good. But the guy realizes that there's a void in his heart and he's still lacking something. He realizes that just because he's done all of those things doesn't mean that he's really good because he came to Jesus because he knew he needed something. And by the way, Jesus has just said back in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. If you've had hate in your heart for someone, you've committed murder. And so we all know because we've read the story that ah, this guy probably hasn't lived up to everything he thinks he has, but in his own mind, he's self-justified. Now he says, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him in verse 21, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And so this young man is not able to come to Christ 
because he's not able to part with all of his possessions, give them to the poor, and follow Jesus. And so what Jesus does here is Jesus, without even saying it, highlights the first two commandments. Have no other gods before me. Have no idols before me. Those are first two commandments. And you realize that this rich young ruler has a God that he puts in front of the one true God, and that's money. And he has an idol that he also puts in front of God, and that is money. And so the story here, don't think for a second, because this is a good guy, that he's inheriting the kingdom of heaven. What you find here is quite the opposite, that this young man goes away sad because he was one who owned much property. And in verse 23, he says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, he hasn't said that it's impossible. He said that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So a couple things you need to know here. It's difficult, true statement. It's difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven, but it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So you go, hmm, it's actually impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because we're thinking of like a a sewing needle and, and most of you with good eyes feel like you need glasses when you try to thread a needle and you guys that are, you ladies that are wearing glasses, you need magnifying glasses to thread a needle and it's a pretty difficult thing to do. But in Jewish culture, the eye of a needle is different. When the Jewish culture, I've told you that it's common for them to bring their animals inside the house at night. And so they have a big, maybe, living room area. And it's common for them to bring most of the animals into the house and sit them. These are the city folks. These aren't the country folks. They bring them into the into the room and they close the door and lock it behind them. And then they go into the back bedroom area and they sleep back there. Well, if you were in one of these houses, you would have a large door big enough for your animals to get in. And then you would have a much smaller door that's only big enough for you to get in and out of. Have you ever herded up a group of animals and then you tried to slip through the big gate when all of the big animals not get out? Pretty difficult thing to do. But in a house, they've got a little door. So you have an animal door and a people door. And the people door is what they called the eye of the needle. And so you can imagine a large camel trying to get through a normal small doorway for a relatively small individual. It would be a pretty difficult task, right? Give me a little help. Just really. Pretend like we're friends for like the next ten minutes. All right. It would be a difficult task. And Jesus says that's how it is for a rich man to enter heaven. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. And so what's going on with this rich young man is that he's got a lot and he's counted the cost of following Christ. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, uh, without telling him specifically, says, you've got to not make your possessions your life. And you've got to make me Lord of your life. And what he exposes in the young man's life is that you love your money and you love your things more than you love me. And as long as that's the case in your life, you'll never inherit eternal life. And you go, boy, I feel bad for those rich folks. Hmm. It's going to be tough for them to get into heaven. But listen, the same thing is true for people who are struggling to get by. Is there something maybe that you've, you're struggling to get by and you've worked and worked and worked and you've finally attained it? Listen, the story here 
trickles downhill. And if there's anything in your life or in my life that we wouldn't give up for Christ if he asked us, then you're looking at your God. If you wouldn't give up your house, your car, or any toy that you've worked hard for, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven because the king demands total allegiance to himself. And so you know Peter. Peter's going to ask a question. Now listen to this. Then Peter, this is verse 27. Then Peter said to him, Behold, hey, Jesus, pay attention. We've left everything. And so sure, the rich young ruler, he went away sad. But Jesus, what about us? We've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms for my sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so, moral of the story here is there's a rich young ruler who comes up and he's not willing to walk away from the things that he has to follow Christ. And then you have these disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus. And they go, Jesus, what about us? And Jesus says, brothers, don't worry. It's going to be worth it leaving everything to follow me. Guys, following Christ is worth Whatever it costs you in this life to follow him. If he asks for everything you have and the only thing that you get is to know him, you win every day. Because knowing Christ and knowing God far outweighs anything this world has to offer. And when you get beyond this world and you stand before Christ and he gives you rewards for following him, that far outweighs anything that you could ever work for or get in this life. I promise you, based on God's word. And you go, well, we don't know if we can believe you, this, that, and the other. Let me level with you man to man and woman to woman. I don't want to be a pastor. You go, whoa, time out. He's leaving. He's going to start a resignation speech. No, God has called me to this. This wasn't my choice. I joined the army. That's what I wanted to do, right? I did what I wanted to do. And God said, no, I want you to go into the ministry. And I went, "Mm, that's not fun. That's not going to keep my attention. And there's days when it's tough and it doesn't always seem worth it. But it's passages like this that say, listen, anything you left that you wanted is worth it. And I promise you that even if if God calls you to something that right off the cuff that you don't want to do, he will make it so joyful and give you so much contentment that you won't be able to stand it. And you won't find that joy and contentment unless you're doing what he's called you to do. And that's all right here in God's word. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray for each of us. That we don't ever have any toys. We don't ever have any amount of money that comes in between us and following Christ. I pray that even your husbands and wives don't come in between you and following Christ. Because following Christ is worth leaving everything for. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the greatest treasure that this world has to offer. Father, we thank you for stories like... 
the parable of the pearl that a merchant was looking for fine pearls and upon finding one of great value, he went and sold everything he had so he could receive that one pearl. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never received you, if there's anyone that doesn't have you as their treasure, I pray that today would be the day they do it. Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in you as the only son of God who died on the cross for their sins to forgive them and then rose from the dead so that they could have eternal life. And Lord, I pray that they would experience that freedom that's only found in you. Lord, I pray that we would never be people like the rich young ruler who hold on to our things above you. I pray that we would never hold on to our pride above you. I pray that we would never hold on to our possessions above you. And Lord, I pray that everything we have would be in our open hand for you to take and use however you feel. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. And Father, we thank you that following you is worth it, even to the ends of the earth. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. Stay standing just for a moment. Uh, as far as our vote went on the committee, 60 yeses and 2 noes. And I would like to, um, in, the, in the most caring, genuine way possible, if you voted no, be on the nominating committee next year. Because you have no idea clearly how much work that most of these ladies and Jonathan and Randy put in to finding people who will serve. It's not as easy as you would think. We should be beating you away, keeping you only doing a few things, and instead we're scraping trying to find people to do things. And so I love you if you voted no, but I'm afraid that we're not walking in unity, you and I. And so come and talk to me if there's anything that we need to talk about. Having said that, I love all of you. Look forward to what the Lord is going to do with us in this uh, new year. And uh, I'm going to ask Randy if you would close us in prayer. But before that, don't forget... Church outreach, 6 o'clock tonight, and we're going to follow up on the kids that we met in Vacation Bible School. Really important that we get them uh, some information. Randy, if you'll close us. Father, we just humble ourselves before you in your presence today. Lord, we thank you for your perfect word to share so boldly this morning. Lord, we just uh, pray that if there's anything that is uh, stands between us and you, Lord, that uh, you reveal it to us and uh, it will put it away. Give it up, give it all for you. Lord, we just pray that's honoring to you. We just uh, ask you to continue to be with us and bless us as we go throughout.